Orchard Hill, we are still in our study of the first part of Leviticus. And uh, today we are right in the middle of the meat of Leviticus, uh, chapters 11 through 15. Now, I'm not going to read all of those uh, to us uh, this morning. I'm hoping that you have read through them so you're familiar with that. Uh, But I do want to read a little section this morning uh, to give us a flavor of what God is uh, pointing us uh, to and what the book is about. And so Leviticus, we're going to read from chapter 11, verses 41 through 46. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) Yeah, let's thank him now at the beginning. Sorry, that was my mistake. Usually I say that at the end, but I just decided to say it at the beginning for some reason. I think maybe just to remind you, because we get in, I have to remind myself when I'm reading Leviticus, this is God's word, right? Because there's a lot of stuff in here go what is that all about uh so yeah we'll thank him for it at the beginning and then we'll thank him for it uh, at the end as well so every creature that moves along the ground is to be regarded as unclean it is not to be eaten you are not to eat any creature that moves along the ground whether it moves on its belly or it walks on all fours or on many feet it is unclean do not defile yourselves by any of these creatures do not make yourselves unclean by means of them or be made unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy, because I am holy. These are the regulations concerning animals, birds, every living thing that moves about in the water, and every creature that moves along the ground. You must distinguish between the unclean and the clean, between the living creatures that may be eaten and those that may not be eaten. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have to tell you, if I was your uh, pastor near the end of the 18th century, the topic that I would be talking to you about uh, would not be one of uh, our issues today. Maybe like I wouldn't be talking to you uh, about Uh, abortion. I wouldn't be talking to you about environmental stewardship. Uh, I wouldn't be talking to you a lot about a lot of the issues that we deal with today, but this would be the issue that I would be talking to you about if I was your pastor in the end of the 18th century. I would uh, be talking to you about cleanliness. Cleanliness, because you see at that time in history, uh, for some reason, many people believed that bathing was unhealthy for you. Bathing was unhealthy, and so people refused to bathe. And so socially conscious pastors of the time spoke to their church family and would say, church family, let's bathe. And (laughs) are you sitting by somebody smelly, Rob, this morning? Is that that Bryce, do you need to bathe this morning? Exactly. Can you imagine how much the church smelled? And so uh, he would, but, but their hopes they would pin on this is that is I would encourage um, my church family to, to bathe. My hope would also be that then that would also transform their behavior in life and we would clean up society as well, especially in the areas in that day of, of uh, alcohol and, and smoking. And it was during that time that John Wesley, in a sermon, gave the famous phrase that is cleanliness is next to godliness. Many people think that's right out of the Bible. 
But it's not. It's from John Wesley from that period. However, we get many, uh, many um, impressions of that same theme from our Bible reading today, don't we? Because there's a lot of talk about being clean. There's a lot of talk about being unclean. There's a lot of talk about bathing in these scriptures right here. And if you will, a lot of the, the, the flow of this section, chapters 11 through 15, would not be that cleanliness is next to godliness, but it would be cleanliness allows you to come into the presence of godliness. Cleanliness allows you to draw near to godliness. And we see that here in these chapters. In the chapters 11 through 15, which I acknowledge is a tough chunk to read, God is outlining uh, for us what he calls the ritual purity system. The ritual purity system. And the best way to, to wrap your mind around this is to think that we can live our life in one of uh, three zones. All right, I live my life here. I'm, in, I'm here in, this, in the middle, and I live with what is common. My everyday world, I live what is common. And in, as I live with what is common, I can live in two zones there. I can live in the zone of unclean, common and unclean, or I can live in my common area and live with what is clean, and I can live in that zone. And then if I take what is clean and I set it apart for God, and I set it apart for God's purposes, then I can move into the zone of being holy. And those are the three realms that we can, the three zones that we can live with. And if I am in the holy zone, and suddenly uh, I deal with, with sin, I deal with something that's impure, I deal with uh, uh, something that is just profane, it moves me out of the holy realm back into the common realm. And then in the common realm, I can either be, again, clean or unclean. All right? So if I, for example, if I uh, have my, my fork that, I've been, that I set apart aside for God, that I've been using at, at his altar to flip the meat that all of you are bringing to me because you're sinful, and we gotta burn a, we got to burn a lot of meat to cover these sins, and I take this fork and decide, oh, it's a nice night on Friday night, and I take this fork, and I choose to go out with this fork and sit around my family campfire and cook a hot dog with it. I now have taken it out of what is holy. I've used it for what is common, and not only have I used it for common, I put a hot dog on it, which I'm fairly certain there's some meat in there, which is, maybe there's meat in there, which is which has been forbidden by God, and so that makes it unclean, and now here I have my fork, which i just taken from the holy all the way to the unclean. And the way that I move my fork back to the clean is by washing it, making it clean, setting apart some time, and declaring that this is now to be used for God, and I set it apart for him, and I move back into the holy realm. This is the situation that we have here. And there is an ebb and flow that's going to happen in life because this is not dealing with, with sin in our life. We will get to that. We're going to deal with, with, um, with purity, with moral purity, in the second half of our study, which comes after the first of the year. This is ritual purity, sort of your stamp from the outside. Uh, and, and 
And so it doesn't have to do with sin, just kind of the ritual purity. And so we're going to move back and forth because we're just living our lives. And there's a lot of stuff that we're going to come in contact with that will make us clean or make us unclean. And then the way that we move is we need to, as the scriptures tell us, to bathe and to give it some time. We read that in chapter uh, 14, I believe. I want to look at that. There's, there's lots of examples in here. But uh, as I deal with uh, chapter 14, and it says that if a person, uh, where am I? Let's see, 14. If you are uh, unclean from your skin disease, and you've then been declared clean, uh, what you need to do then is it says you need to take a bath, and you need to bathe, be declared clean, and then allow seven days to, to move through. Uh, so seven days again, we've talked about that. That's the symbol of wholeness and completeness. And so that's what you do. I've lost the place here in my Bible. I can't find it right now. So you're going to just trust me that what I said is true, and you may read this later on that. But that was the process of God's people right there as they, as they dealt with this, this issue of wanting to be clean. And why do they want to be clean, and why do they want to be holy? Because they want to live in the presence with God. And actually, this was God's design. Remember, God said, I want to draw near to you, but I'm holy, you're sinful, so here's how you can do it. And God says, to be my people, to meet with me, you need to be holy as I am holy. And so God says, you're going to be living in this world where you're not going to be holy. I want to tell you how you can get yourself into a position, how you can do the preparation to make yourself where you're able to, to meet with me. And so God goes into quite a lot of detail in here in chapter 11 through 15. And I think the best way to understand this, uh, most scholars, and there's differing opinions on this, which we're not, we don't have time to go into all of those today. But I think the ones that most scholars land on is the life and death symbolism that we have here in chapters 11 through 15. Life and death. Because God is life. God brings life. God is whole. God is life. And so something, if something is life-giving, if something brings life, then it's going to be clean and holy. But if there is something that is death, something that is decay, something that is dying, that's going to move us away from God. So life moves us towards God. Death moves us away from God. And we see that here in these chapters. Chapter 11 says you're not going to eat animals that deal with death. You're just not going to do it. Animals that are scavengers, you're not going to eat those. Animals uh, that you could get sick from, animals that could give you disease, you're not going to eat those. Animals that other pagan religions lift up, you're not going to eat those because those lead to death, and those are unclean. Chapter 12 is the whole chapter on purification after childbirth, and it talks about uh, the loss of generative material after a baby is born, and I've witnessed that twice, and there's a lot of unclean there. And uh, so all of that, because it does not lead to life, is unclean. Chapter 13 moves us into dealing with, chapter 13 and 14 are, are skin conditions, skin diseases, which 
uh, in themselves may look dirty. They may um, they look unclean. They may make you look like a corpse, like you are dying. And so all of these skin conditions are, it, it's your skin is not healthy. Your skin, that condition means that part of that skin is dying and it's, it's death, it's decay. And so that is unclean as well. Uh, chapter 15, in the way too much information uh, chapters, and I'm feeling very uncomfortable right now, <laughs> deals with uh, discharges and emissions coming from, you know, the, your private areas. And, and basically, uh, after you've had, you know, sex. And so all of that is unclean because it's not leading to life, all right? Uh, so did we get that? I don't need, you don't want more detail on that, do you? No, no. <laughs> one, one bonehead is going, yes, give me more. I want to see you struggle. I think we all get this. It leads to lead to life. If it's not leading to life, if it's leading to death, that's a, a general way of dividing up these chapters. So I, can, I hope that you can understand that. So what happens then when you encounter this death, because you're living in this common area, right? And you may end up eating something that was unclean, just because you did. You may bump into somebody who has a skin disease. Now, of course, they're supposed to holler, unclean, unclean, so you don't bump into them. But if you do, now, oh, now you're unclean. You're probably going to want to have sex, so that's going to send you into the unclean realm. You're going to have children. That's going to put you in the unclean realm. You're going to touch somebody who's dead. That's going to put you in the unclean realm. Uh, I think this week I had to, uh, on, I'm working on this on Thursday, I had to kill a mouse that was in our entryway. Unclean. I shouldn't even be here, right? So that's what I said. Everybody go, oh, I can't preach on Sunday. I'm unclean. I just, not only was he scurrying on the ground, I then killed him. The double whammy, unclean. So we're going to bump into those things when we do life. It just is going to happen. Again, it's not dealing with our sin. It's dealing with life and whether or not we are clean and holy and set apart to be able to meet God. Or are we dealing with the common and what brings death and decay? And so God, again, comes to us, right? I love that song that we sang. It was all about mercy, right? Because we could have a God that said, I am a holy God. You are sinful. And bam, I'm sick of you. I can have nothing to do with you. But he didn't. Our God said, I love you. I'm a merciful God. I want you to be my people. I want to meet with you. So I will make a way. It's always God coming to us. And I hope you see that in this book of Leviticus, how relational it is. That it's filled with the love of God coming to his people. And here God is saying, I'm going to make a way that if you are unclean, you can be made clean so you can come into my presence. And so how do we do that? Well, this idea is central in how the tabernacle was set up. If you've had a chance to look at it at all or understand it, you can uh, flip on to the next picture here. You can see in the tabernacle that you entered the tabernacle, and once you came in, you came across two things. The altar, which we talked about. The altar is where the sacrifice was given for our sins, the atonement was made. And then the second step, after we did that, where we approach God, is we come to the laver. The laver, which was filled with water. What was the water used for? For cleansing. 
And so for a priest, before the priest could go into the very holy presence of God, had to wash, had to clean. Yes, the priest was set apart as holy, but still touched some things, filled with blood, feet were dirty, hands were dirty. He had to wash into the presence of God to be made clean. And so we can understand the symbolism that in order for me to approach God, I need to be made clean. And that's shown right there in the tabernacle. Interestingly, the labor was made out of, if you have read that, how it was constructed, it was made out of the bronze mirrors that all the women gave. Bronze mirrors. They didn't have the kind of mirrors we have in this day, so they would polish the bronze so they could get a reflection. And that's what that labor is made out of. So you can imagine as you bend over the labor, this polished mirror, what do you see? You see yourself. You might say, oh my goodness. Am I, am I covered with sin? Am I covered with dirt? The priest, do I got blood on me? What's, how are my hands? And they could then be cleansed and, and, and made clean and able to go into the, the presence of God. That's what the priests had to do. But God also provided for the people so that they could be cleansed. And the way that they could be cleansed was through something that's called a mikvah. A mikvah, the, the Hebrew word for mikvah, is really just a gathering of water. A gathering of water. You can think of like a hot tub, if you want. Uh, you can think of a swimming pool. Uh, it's that kind, of, uh, that kind of structure. And what we find is that this, these gatherings of water are all over the land of Israel. These are pictures of mikvah that were found, archaeological digs, all across Israel. So far they've discovered 850 of these mikvahs across the land of Israel. So we know this was an important concept in the mind of the Hebrew people, that in order for me to approach God, I've got to be made clean. And so for me to be clean, I have to wash. Because if I touch something dead, I've got to wash. If I, you know, if I find myself impure, I've got to wash before I go see God. You never came into the presence of God without washing because you needed to be clean, and he is holy and we are not. And he said, be holy as I am holy. And so they would wash in the mikvahs, the living water of the mikvahs. It had to be living water. It couldn't be stagnant water. It couldn't be water that had algae in it because that would be unclean. It had to be living water to bring life back, to restore what was dirty. And so we have these, these mikvahs around. They found out probably 200 of these in Jerusalem itself, 200 mikvahs. Because in the rhythm, which we're going to talk about later on in the life of God's people, was that they had to come to the temple to meet God three times a year. And so if you're coming from all over Israel to the temple to meet with God, by the time you came 20 miles, 40 miles, 50 miles down the dirty, dusty path, what did you have to do before you met God? you got to be clean. And so they found, uh, they found all these 200 mikvahs so far in Jerusalem, and probably about 20 of them on this picture here, you can see are right outside the temple. If we go to the next picture, these ones are just right outside the temple. So it shows when God's people came, before they came into the temple, they would go down into the pools, and they would then bathe. And so if we think about this, that all of these were right around the temple, and think now how this informs your other Bible reading, Remember on Pentecost, when Peter led people to Jesus Christ, and they go, what do we got to do? You got to be baptized to be saved. How could they baptize 3,000 people in that day in the mikvahs? They're, they're all around. 3,000 people. Can you just see the apostles 
baptizing left and right all these people in the mikvahs right there in the, in the water. This picture here is like one from Jerusalem. It informs your, your study again that this is a picture of David, King David. And how did he get in trouble? He was looking down at Bathsheba. Because what was she doing? Bathing. All right? He wasn't peeping into her bathroom. All right? Probably her hubby, Uriah, was getting ready to go away for a while, off to war. And so on their last night when they were together, they, you know, they were rather intimate, which then made her unclean. And so she would have to bathe. And, and where it's situated, David's palace would be on top of the hill. He, you can look down, and you see this when you're in Israel, and you could look at all these mikvahs, and he probably saw her bathing. And so that informs that story. So this idea, I'm just, I guess I took a sidetrack here. I just want you to realize and look for it, how often this comes through in the scriptures, because this is ingrained into the Hebrew mind. That if you're clean, you've got to be clean. You've got to go into the mikvah. We also find this in the land uh, because archaeologically they have found stone vessels. They found uh, jugs and they found cups made out of stone. What's significant about that? Stone is clean because it's non-porous. If you would take a clay pot and you put wine into a clay pot, you can't get it clean because it's porous. But if you have a stone and you fill it, it can be washed and it can be made clean. And so the stone all throughout the land of Israel show that God's people embraced this thinking that we got to be clean and we got to, to see God, we got to maintain the standards of cleanliness. Again, we remember the story of Jesus, his very beginning of his ministry. His mother comes to him and says, Jesus, I want you to make wine at this wedding. Be healed. Um, I want you to take the wine at a wedding. And Jesus goes and he finds six jugs full of water. Why were the jugs of water sitting there? They were water used for purity. That's why they were there. And we can have a, a great discussion on what that miracle meant when Jesus took the old rituals of being pure and he said, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to do a new thing. You don't need those anymore. That's his first miracle. That's a whole other message this morning, or for another morning. But we can do it this morning. We don't have anywhere else to go. Um, so uh, what, what I just want to say, why I planted here a little bit, is I just want you to realize that what, what was said here it was the very words of God. God came to Moses, and for people, for year after year after year, all the way into the time of Jesus, hundreds of years, they lived by their rituals and laws because they knew that God asked them to be clean. Because in order to draw into the presence of God, you need to be clean. Fortunately, these rituals don't apply to us anymore. We live under the new law as, as Christians. But I think the principles behind the laws still have a hold on our life. Okay, God did something new with Jesus Christ. But the principle is still the same, that if I'm your God, I am holy, your people, you are sinful, that hasn't changed. And if we want to meet our holy God, then we need to be made clean. That principle still holds on us today. And the good news is that we have a God who is a merciful God, 
and comes to us today and he says, you know what? I know you're sinful. I know you're unclean. I know I'm holy. I still want to meet with you. So in my mercy and my love, I will make a way for you to become clean because I so want to be with you in relationship. In the way that we become clean before God today, when we come into his presence, if we want to experience the presence of God, we need to be clean. And the way that God did that is the same as he did through the tabernacle. Remember the path through the tabernacle? You started at the altar. Life had to be given for life. Life was found in the blood. And so God, you pressed your head on the sacrifice, and a sacrifice was given for you. You said, I am transferring my sin onto this sacrifice, and as this sacrifice was broken and as the blood was poured out, God accepted that sacrifice on your behalf. And for us, we know it was Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. He was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. His, our sin was put on him, and now God looks at us, and he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is a one-time act of what we call justification. When I come to the altar, I, that sacrifice was given for me, and in that moment, God says, you are now clean. I look at you. You're clean. Why? Because I don't see you. I see Jesus Christ. And when I look at you, you know what I now see? No sin. As the psalmist says in Psalm 103, your sins are as far as the east is from the west. No more. They're gone. That's how we come to God. We start at the altar. We are cleansed through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. He is the way the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Why? Because we've got to be made clean. And only through the pure sacrifice of Jesus are we made clean. So we start at the altar, which deals with us from the outside. We call it in theological terms, which I mentioned is justification. Uh, we like that word, just as if I'd never sinned. That's how I remembered it from when I was in, in junior high school. Just as if I'd never sinned through Jesus Christ. But I don't stop there. As I come my way through the tabernacle, I, I start at the altar. And then what do I come to? I come to the waters. I come to the water. I come to the, to the laver. And there in the water, now that I, I, am, I, am, I am pure, I am holy in God's eyes, but because I live in this common realm of life as we go through life, there's going to be things that we engage in, things that we touch, things that we want to deal with, attitudes that we start to take on that are not of God. And so I want to make sure, if I come into God's presence, that those are not part of me. Because the one, because the image that I was made into now is the image of Jesus Christ. I was made holy, as God is holy. And so I want to make sure I maintain who God stamped me as. God stamped me as clean. So I want to make sure I maintain that I'm clean. Yes, Jesus did that for me, but each and every day I want to stop at the labor. In the labor, I'm going to get a reflection of myself. And as I look into that labor, I get that reflection of myself. I look, do I look like Jesus Christ? What does Jesus Christ look like? Holy. He looks holy. Am I looking like Jesus Christ? Because if I'm not looking like Jesus Christ, if that's not the reflection that I see, then I need to wash it away. And I need to ask God's forgiveness. 
And the scriptures tell us that God is faithful and just, and if we confess our sins, God will forgive us of our sins. He'll make us clean. And how does that happen? Through Jesus Christ, again. Through Jesus Christ. Look at what God, um, Paul writes in Ephesians 5, I believe it is. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse 26. This is what Jesus did. He loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. What did he do? He cleansed her by washing with water through the word. Washing with water through the word. So what is that that labor that I stop at? every day to look in and see if I'm reflecting the image of Jesus Christ. How do I know if I'm looking like Jesus Christ? It's through looking into the Word. I'm saved by Jesus Christ. Once and for all, He made me holy. Now I want to continue to grow and look more and more like Jesus Christ. I want to continue to live and be holy because the more that I am holy, I get to, I, I get to live in the presence of God and experience all His blessings. And so I begin to look into the Word. I open the Word because there I get a very picture of who Jesus Christ is. I get a very picture of what is God's heart. I get a picture of what God cares about. I get a picture of what is off limits to God. I get a picture of what God wants me to embrace. How do I know that on my own? If I'm just standing out here in the common world, I don't. And so every day I need to go into the Word and go, Oh man, that's not how I lived my life yesterday. That's not what I did. So I'm going to wash in the water. I'm going to say, forgive. I'm, I'm, I want to live into my holiness. I want to look like Jesus Christ. And that's the change that happens on the inside. You see, God declares us guilt, uh, sin, uh, unsinful, pure, on the outside, through what Jesus did for us there. And then on the inside, we are transformed in the image of Jesus Christ on an ongoing daily basis. That's called sanctification. That's really where I'm saying I'm setting myself apart for God to be holy. And it happens as we dig into the word. James says these words in James 1. Notice the the imagery, how similar that is. James 1, verse 22. He says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Has that ever happened to you? You get up in the morning with bed head, you looked at yourself, you looked at yourself in the mirror, and you're like, oh, that is pretty, pretty uh, revolting, pretty disgusting. But then after a while, you know, you've been on Facebook and you're checking all those things, you forget what you look like because you didn't look in the mirror and you wander downstairs and all of a sudden your kids like shriek and they run because they see. And you're like, oh my goodness, that's right, I forgot what I looked like in the mirror. And that's exactly what James is saying here. He says if you read the Word and you don't do what God says because in the Word you're getting a reflection of Jesus Christ. And I'm looking... And then I see what Jesus wants me to look like, and that's who I need to look like. But if I don't do the word and I just walk away, 
I'm not walking towards the holiness of God. I'm walking more towards the uncleanliness of God, moving myself from life to death. And James says, don't do that. And, but, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law, the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. They'll be blessed in what they do. And we face such a lie with the enemy because the enemy wants to tell us that life is here, doesn't he? Life is here in the common and unclean. Engage in this kind of sexual behavior. That's where life is fun and that's where you'll be blessed. Use this kind of language. Look at these kind of images. Deal this way with one another. Love these kind of people. Our world is telling us all kinds of things that are unclean as a lie that they are clean and they're not. They get us closer to death. It's only when we take God's word and we look into it and we say, oh my goodness, this is what God desires for us. It's not what the world says is good. It's not what the politician says is good. It's not what social media says is good. It's what God says is good and right. That looks just like Jesus Christ. That's where I want to live because that leads me to life and that's where I get a blessing. That's where we live. And that's the call on our hearts. That's why God in his mercy so much wants you to come to him. He doesn't want you dying. He doesn't want you over there in death. He wants you to have that life. And friends, that life is found only when we come through the altar and then to the labor and we come to God through Jesus Christ. Are you in that position today? Have you stopped at the altar? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ so that God can look at you and see? He sees that Jesus has been put on you. It is the rhythm of your life to daily stop at the labor and to look into the word and read the word and take the word in and is your desire to look more and more like Jesus Christ because that's where life is found. Jesus said, I have come to give life and give it abundantly. And how do you get there? Is if you abide in me and you abide with my words. That's where life is found. People of God, your, your God loves you. He wants to live with you. He wants to dwell with you. He wants to be with you. And he has told us exactly the preparations we need to make so that we, as sinful people, can live with our holy God. Are you making those adjustments? Are you living through the altar and through the labor? God, we want to come before you in this day and we thank you for preserving this, this hard hard words for us to get through in the Old Testament, and yet we see God is with uh, all of your word. It brings us to life. It brings us to life, and we thank you, God, for loving us so much, for showing so much mercy on us, and for giving us just what we didn't deserve. While we deserve death, you brought us life, and you made a way. And God, I want to pray for all of those that are here today that have heard this word, all of those that are listening online and have heard this word, God, that they would now be doers of the word. I know that there are some here this very day, God, who are just sitting here, and to be honest, they're in the common, they're unclean. They haven't come through Jesus Christ. 
And I want to pray for them in this day, God, that, that you would touch their heart and you would touch their spirit and that they would hear Jesus calling them, calling them to become clean. And may they step into that life today. God, we pray that this church would be a church that lives in the word, lives by the word, and that we continually reflect the image of the one that we, we say we follow, Jesus Christ. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name.